you ever wear like a vintage watch and you think to yourself, there was once a person that bought this for celebrating this this moment in time that they have and you now carry that that energy capsule in your wrist and sort of um if my diaries burn if my journals get disposed or my words get forgotten there's like this this watch that sort of will communicate for me Hey everybody, I'm your host Stephen Pulverin and this is Hodinkee Radio. This week our episode is all about the intersections between streetwear culture and watch culture. First up, I have a conversation with Ruigi Villasenor, uh, who's the founder of Rude and a super passionate watch collector. He's one of the few guys who can speak equally passionately about a modern Richard Mille, a vintage Rolex, paddock high complications. He's really got all of his bases covered. And he's also one of those people for whom watches are a storytelling device. Just like when he's designing clothes, he's trying to build a lifestyle and an idea around the watches he collects. You may have seen the GQ interview he did back in January where he said he almost bankrupted himself buying vintage watches. And while that got me interested, the story is so much more interesting than just that. After that conversation, I sit down with Brendan Babenzian, who's the founder of Noah, to talk about the Timex collaboration they did last fall, how watches can be used to send a social message, and the responsibilities that modern brands have to actually do good in the world. This is a great episode. It's got micro, it's got macro, it's got everything. So without further ado, let's do this. Hey, man, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. I am so very honored to be here. I'm such a big fan. Oh, thank you. You know, I've, I've, I've been aware of you and, and of your brand of Rude for, for a while, uh, but the first time you ended up on my radar as somebody who, like, had to come on this show uh, oh. was this G, GQ interview you did uh, back oh. in January. Oh. Wow. <laughs> which uh, kind of made the, made the rounds in the watch world. Um, and, and I thought maybe we could, we could start there kind of as a, as a jumping off point. Um, I mean, I love that, that you said that when, when you first started to have success, you, you were keeping the dreams so high up and that you were making a bet on a lifestyle. Right. Uh, I, I was. <laughs> what, what, is, what does that mean to you? I, I love that idea, but I want to hear from you what that means. I mean, I was watching this on um, this Ralph Lauren bit on uh, Barry Ralph, and um, I think he was. They were talking about how even when, uh, not saying that the company was down, but even when you know times, but where they weren't essentially really profitable, like Ralph was really big on keeping some sort of a dream aspect within the. Um, the the space of brand right so you know i kind of sort of adapted that and you know i i um i think essentially what what luxury is is really the the not just the craftsmanship but um the allure and the dream that it's it's giving people you know and so for me i was like well i um i won't know luxury until i uh, experience it you know so you know i i sort of just um 
been uh, aficionado of uh, the finer things in life, you know? Yeah, I mean, I, I want to make sure we, we get to what I'm sure some of our listeners are, are just waiting for, people who read this this GQ story. Um, and and that's the idea. You said in the interview that as you were building this lifestyle and as you were trying to kind of like embody this dream, that you almost bankrupted yourself with vintage watches. Uh, <laughs> I would love to know, A, how you got into vintage watches in the first place, and two, uh, how did you almost bankrupt yourself with vintage watches? I mean, that's that's uh, a commitment that, there, man. That's a real that's a real serious thing, right? I um I well, I've been a watch collection collector since I was a kid, meaning I was collecting Power Ranger watches and Batman watches. Totally. I, there's like actual photos of me like showing off my uh, you know this like Power Ranger watch that I purchased with my Christmas money, and you know I I think I, I even like I, I don't know I even watched like. Co- like completely different topic, but like I watched Kobe Bryant videos when he was younger, when he was practicing in basketball. And it's like, we always kind of just become a, a, a bigger person of what we were when we were younger, you know? And um, I just am now a much older person than I am when I was younger collecting watches. And I, um, I still haven't left that, that love for it. And, you know, when I was developing the brand, I was like, well, what is something substantial that I can, participate in and you know when i said you know you have to know luxury you have to consume luxury to know luxury i was like well right now i can't really buy real estate because i don't that's a little too crazy on my end and um cars they depreciate unless it's you know super collectibles and then there's watches right there's watches that continuously appreciate and you can sort of tell a lot about a man and the watch that he purchases so I, that hobby soon turned into uh, quite a bit of a, not really an addiction, but a stupidity. And I, <laughs> I just, you know, I, I, um, I started buying way more than I was supposed to. And then I realized, oh, wait, I, oh my God, I have to like, I actually need to have money, you know, like, you know, yeah. you, you start to think you're like invincible, you know, and, right. you know, soon these, these habits turn into like, like real serious, like, like it controlled my day, you know, to where I'm like trying to understand, you know, the composition of watches, the the craftsmanship, but at the same time, I'm trying to understand it by buying it, which is like, I really could have just went to Hidinki and just read about it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's, there's nothing like learning hands-on. I mean, for, for your, your, as you started to get into vintage watches, I mean, I guess the first question is like, why vintage? I mean, like, the, the modern kind of like contemporary watch scene is definitely bigger in LA than the vintage watch scene. Right. I mean, what, what drew you to vintage instead of just like, you know, heading down to Rodeo Drive and buying something out of a, out of a display case? Well, you know, I guess it always taps back to that kid of me again, right? You know, when I was watching these movies and I was watching, I was seeing different James Bond films and I was watching different like just iconographies of what, you know, Newman and what he would wear and all these things that kind of became the catalyst for, you know, what I want to achieve. And and I I couldn't break that out of me. And, you know, the new watches are beautiful and I don't get me wrong and I participate, but, you know, I, part of me needs to feel like, I feels more accomplished if I were to, you know, get to what I once fell in love with in in the first place, you know? And do you do you remember which vintage watch you bought where it was like that's when the floodgates opened like the watch you bought and you were like oh 
oh shit, like this is an addiction now. This is a thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, you know, you start to, you, I think my very first entry point was, uh, you know, I think just, yeah, just, it was, it was super, super junior or whatever it was with me back then. And I was like, well, this is beautiful. Then I start to really understand and I'm like, oh my God, I got to come jump up. And then I, I, um, I bought a, uh, a pre, a pre Daytona chrono. Nice. And that's when I like kind of really began and then I participate and I got a 5711 and then I started right. jumping and jumping and jumping and I was like this is serious now you know yeah. when when the zeros start turning <laughs> a little too much it gets a little oh, yeah you know and then I start to realize I'm like okay I could very well like be in the worst deep deep end of this you know yeah are, are there watches that that for you are are kind of like highlights of your collection like the the pieces that like speak to you the most or you think kind of you most identify with yeah i think um i think the gmt and um the gmt is so symbolic and just the, the line of what rolex offers um you know growing up in the philippines with, with my father and what he perceived as like the accomplished watch was you know either a submariner or gmt and um that's one of the things that like stands out to me you know I, I have yet to really like wear mine but I, I do have one um uh Patek Philippe I think is um my father's been a big Patek Philippe uh, fan a lot of the you know, complications and grand complications um but yeah that's that's really what to me is like the, the pinnacle of, um, uh, of luxury and accomplishments you know yeah I mean, the sense of accomplishment, I think, is is a really important thing that, that, you know, I think, like, people who don't consider themselves watch collectors talk about this a lot, but I think watch collectors like to generally, you know, find other other things to latch on to, other reasons to talk about purchasing, but I don't know. I mean, I'll speak from my, my own experience. Like, buying my first vintage Rolex was, like, I, I had made it, man. Like that was, that was when like, I could call my parents and be like, I made good. I, I figured this out, you know, like, and when I look at it on my wrist, it's like, I'm, I'm here. Like I, I'm a big boy. I can, I can like play with the best of them, you know? Uh, and I think it's a really great thing to just like be open and honest about that. Like, I think that's a, that's a good reason to love a watch. Right. And that was like one of the, like, actually that's, you know, that's funny you say that because that's, you know, looking back at it that was like a way for me to to prove to my dad that what i what i chose to do in life is is uh was the right thing hmm. you know i was able to sort of be like well um I, I got the watch that you know we all dreamt of so i think we're we're um i think i chose the right career in my life you know yeah <laughs> and at the same time i got him uh, a watch of his own and it was it was um it was such a, a moment that i wish i had my um, I wish I had my uh, sister or my brother record, you know, it was like such a moment when I gave my father his, his, um, his GMT and he was, um, he was like crying in the living room, you know? That's awesome. I mean, you, you, it's interesting to me that you like vintage watches so much. Cause I mean, the sort of clothing that you're, you're designing and the sort of like culture and brand you're building is, is extremely contemporary and and future looking in a lot of ways like you're you're charting the course for tomorrow not remaking the stuff from yesterday and 
And I wonder how you think about that, that balance between like trying to find the next thing and trying to make something new versus trying to sort of like incorporate and reinterpret the stuff from yesterday. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think, I think we're, we've kind of been dancing around, you know, uh, evolution and, uh, just preservation of luxury. And I think, um, We've, we've yet to still find the answer for that, you know, like I, I run a really small design team and kind of, and it's ran by conversations and most of the time it is about watches. And, you know, I, I, I really try to figure out like what the guy is wearing, what watches he likes and what, what is he participating in? And um, we're, we're still, we're still figuring out that answer, you know, but for now we've, we've kind of been um, lucky to be able to balance a bit of both. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's important. And it's also, I think it's, it's tough, right? Like it's a thing people, people don't, uh, people who aren't doing that, that kind of work, I don't think realize that like you, you've got to convince somebody, right. To like invest in you and your brand and your, your vision while also like kind of giving them something they can relate to and something they can hold on to. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and the space you're operating in, right. Which is like, you know, roughly i think we could say like the streetwear space is that is that fair to say yeah it's um someone called it postmodern streetwear or post streetwear okay. or or street luxury whatever it is i think it's it's about just young guys that sort of built a a brand out from the streets you know or like yeah. this digital, this digital revolution revolution yeah exactly and and that kind of movement and the the brands who are operating in the same space as you, right? There's there's this huge culture on like the next thing, right? Like drop culture, something's coming out, you gotta right. line up, you gotta be waiting at your computer, stuff ends up in the resale market. It's this like really hype driven next big thing culture. And I wonder when you're creating products, like as somebody who appreciates, you know, a 60 year old Rolex, like are you thinking about how to both, you know, kind of like, lean into the hype a little bit, but also make something that maybe, you know, if 30 years from now, somebody wants to show their, you know, 2021 rude jacket to a friend or their kids or whatever, that like that piece is still going to be cool and relevant and interesting. Right. Um, I mean, to be honest, that's been a, um, a big, big battle for us, you know, because in the, I, I realized very early that I was going to need to participate to get the, the name and notoriety out. But, you know, me as a personal brand and me as a um, as rude there's there's two very different growth um processes you know and and i think now we've sort of reached like a, a growth in the brand where i'm now trying to to pull it to where i am personally you know and you know, to be honest i i don't think i'm i'm esteemed by the drop the the drop culture and all that stuff you know I, I love all the timeless pieces and you know i mean for, for i mean I, the first car i ever bought was a uh 69 pagoda you know and that's the first later, car you ever bought it's the first car i ever bought man like, that's a, it was, that's uh, a pretty dope way to like jump right into the deep end <laughs> and it's actually the stupidest way to i ended up like donating it for tax purposes you know, and <laughs> I, and I realized that it was going to be the worst pain in in the ass to try to you know, I didn't think I thought you could just drive it to work every day, but that's yeah. not the that's not the way the world is. But anyway, but, well, 
basically what I'm saying is like, right, we're reaching the point in the brand where I'm now, I guess, pulling back and trading timeless pieces. You know, I think, I, I don't think it's healthy to train. Um, and maybe I'm doing, I'm make, doing the wrong thing, but I'd rather do the, the right thing for me, you know? And, um, you know, I, I don't think it's healthy to train uh, consumers to this, this discipline of like constant what's next, what's next, you know? I think, um, I think it's right for, for time and stuff, but I do think once, once we fully figure out, you know, what is the necessity, I think it'll always go back to what is classic. Well, there, there's actually, you know, as, as we talk about kind of mi mixing and matching things, there's there's some watches that I know are in your collection that I wanted to ask you about, which are, are these watches, the rework watches. Right. Um, yeah. Which yeah. For, for people listening, since it's a visual thing, it's a rework spelled R-H-E work, uh, yeah. like Rude and Ruigi. Um, yeah. Can you can you tell us about these watches? I saw them on your on your Instagram in your collection and, and wanted to get the, the story behind them. Well, you know, those watches that I purchased a while back, um, watches that I just wanted to create that sort of had my own uh, personal taste to it. And then uh, I named it Rework because I thought it was kind of um, a funny a funny a way of using the RH heritage that my family has. And it's... Um, I mean, just for people who, who haven't seen the picture, and we'll link the picture up in the in the show notes, but for people who haven't seen them, these are, you know, the two I saw are a, a steel Daytona and a gold day date, and they've been reworked with these, like, yellow dials with custom, uh, you know, printing on them. And this, I'm using the Pantone that I built uh, Root on, which is this, um, this, like, Spectra yellow sort of thing. Yeah. And we use this on every single branding almost like for the boxes, the drawstrings and the stuff. And I wanted to, to have like um, the same way there's a Tiffany blue, the same way there's an Hermes orange, I guess there's a rude yellow. Right. And I wanted to, to, to build that for myself and, you know, later pass it down to my great, great, great grandkids or whatever it is to be like, well, this is the, the watch that, you know, I, built whatever you know it is later years later on whatever we we come out of with doing root is is the watch that, that sort of you know can bring you back in time you know i i love that i mean the the, the notion of this like time travel thing that you keep talking about i i i love this idea that like they can connect you to the past they can connect you to the future they're like they really are. It's it's like I'm, I'm not trying I mean, to make a pun here, but that like they are like little time machines, right? Right, exactly. And it's it's like it, you know, like you ever wear like a vintage watch, and you know, you may not know where you may some some of them don't even really have the papers anymore or whatever it is. But you know, you think to yourself, there was once a person that bought this for probably ten x below what we purchased it for, <laughs> <laughs> and always was yeah, always and was celebrating this this moment in time that they have and you now carry that that energy capsule in your wrist and sort of um bring that along with your days you know and you know with me i i, I created these watches for myself and i mean there's two of each to be honest but i mean i've, I've made this for myself as a as a way to just if 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 there were if there were if my diaries burn if my journals get you know get disposed or my words get forgotten there's like this this watch that sort of will like communicate for me you know yeah 
I, I love that they're so personal, right? And I, I think it's something that, you know, my colleagues and I talk about all the time as, as one of maybe the downsides of the watch world these days, which is that everybody wants the same, you know, six or eight watches, right? Like there's a couple Rolexes, a couple Paddocks, a couple APs, a Richard Miller too, right? And it's like, these are the watches that everybody wants, nobody can get. And and they've just become sort of like um, like boxes that people have to check. Like, oh, yeah, got a GMT. Oh, yeah, got off the wait list for the Nautilus, you know? Um, and and I want to know what you think about that. Like, is it is it cool that these watches have cultural currency like this? Is it super lame that everybody's wearing the same three things? Is it both? Like, I, I just would love your your take on that. Um, I think... I think it's similar to the shoe world, right? There's plenty of great shoes out there, you know? And then there's still like, I think what this is an entry to, to investing in, in some way, you know, like I always say, like the shoe game is the kid's way of, you know, getting into investments and all this, you know, how to appreciate the money. But, you know, for me, watches is, I, I, I understand it. I understand, you know, when, when the sport watches are obviously, through the roof in almost every brand you could think of um but i don't know i think that i think that we're losing a bit of the personality now you know i go out in la and same 10 guys are wearing the same arm 1103 and you know and and or like they're using the same you know sport 5711 and all this stuff and don't get me wrong i have these, these in my collection and i'm still building but you know, I, 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 and so like with a friend of mine who's sort of enlightened me with, uh, I mean, he's really my, my mentor who just talked to me about brand building, you know, and, and so just really being true and honest to yourself and then building from that. And, you know, it takes, a, it, it's, it's hard, right? Like when I was a kid and I was like 13 years old, I really, really, really loved toys still, you know, like I love toys. But my friends didn't play with toys. They wanted to play basketball. They wanted to do all this. And, you know, still I regret to this day the fact that I, I made myself not like the toys that I liked, you know. And it, I guess what I'm trying to get to is, like, this is the moment where I really love grand complications and complications, which is that's my toy and my friends are wanting me to play basketball, meaning they want me to wear sport watches and, and all these things that are sought out for. And, and I'm taking the, 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 I'm not making the same mistakes now and I'm liking what I like, you know, and creating something out of that, you know? Dude, I love this. This has been so much fun. We are for sure going to have to have you back on the show sometime soon. Uh, we can get real nerdy about uh, dress watches. Give me a uh, give me a little bit more time so I could uh, I could buy that. <laughs> I could buy that, <laughs> so that fifty three oh four. You know, uh, you know maybe I'll take out uh, maybe I'll sell my leg for it or something. You know. <laughs> <laughs> awesome man. Well, thank you so much and uh, yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Man, it's such a pleasure. Anytime, anytime. Man. Up next, my conversation with the founder of Noah, Brendan Babenzian. Hey, Brendan, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. 
Well, thanks thanks for taking the time. I, I I guess a good place to start is is I wonder, you know, in the broader universe of NOAA, um, how how do you think about watches? I mean, you guys have created one watch, which we'll we'll talk about in a minute, but how do you think it fits into the bigger the bigger vision of what you're doing? It's funny because we don't really think about watches much, you know, like we it, it's not something that for me personally has played a major role in my life, right? Straight up honesty. I, I've totally. always I've always found watches kind of fascinating um, because from a stylistic viewpoint, they they obviously are very important, right? For for a man to complete his look, right? And it's it's kind of like shoes or ties. I mean, the watch you choose says a lot about you as as a person. So from a design perspective and, and a style perspective, it's it's incredibly interesting to me. Um, but I've never fallen into that culture of like, this watch is going to define me. Um, I think probably because I might've been exposed to a lot of watch conversations when I was younger. And a lot mm. of them had a lot to do with, with money. And mm. it felt kind of, it was a little bit off-putting for me. Like this, like get, get like, get a Rolex or a Breitling. And this is kind of going back to like the eighties, right? Which great watches, right? Clearly they're great watches. But it, it always had this component of kind of like flexing with the watch that you had, which I know is yeah. a, a very real thing. And it just never really appealed to me personally. Now, visually, I find watches incredibly interesting, you know, like how they can look um, when people are really just choosing the watch that suits their personality and they're not letting these other things impact their choice. Right. Which yeah. For human beings is an incredibly difficult thing to do, to not be influenced, to kind of like fall into these cultural kind of trappings. Um, but I do appreciate a good watch on the right person. Um, and I think that's where the conversation started for us, because, you know, my team and I, we're not really big time watch people, but we do appreciate a good watch and we appreciate a good looking watch on the right person. So we wanted to figure out what that meant to us. Um, and clearly it meant, you know, something affordable and, you know, really accessible, but also kind of fun, you know, not so heavy, not so heavy duty visually, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think fun is a, is a really like good and important word here, you know, uh, having been in the, in the watch game now for, for about a decade, like there's so much seriousness uh and the timex that you you and your team created is is fun like it puts a smile on your face it's not it's not meant to be there to make you you know kind of like ooh and ah and put it in a glass case and not touch it like it kind of invites you to like have fun with it which i i think is a cool it's a cool attitude to bring to the space well it, it hit a bunch of notes for us i mean one it's timex and timex is classic and you know the, the value of a Timex is is correct, right? Like what you pay for the watch, it's it's a good value, right? It's a good watch. Yeah. So that was really important to us. You know, the visual component does what we do, which is it tells a story, it brings attention to an issue. Um, it also allowed us to create the, the watch band that spoke to kind of like ocean plastics and, you know, using repurposed or recycled materials, which is really important to us. So it kind of like, it hit on all these things and it really, and it allowed us to use a graphic that we love. You know, we love, we love our turtle. Um, and we, we love that he's kind of like telling us, you know, to get our shit together basically, you know? Um, 
yeah is a very common theme for us and we do strike some pretty serious chords at noah often um we often struggle to find humor because the issues we might touch on are actually really heavy duty you know um you know whether it be racism or you know social justice issues or environmental issues they're really all very serious issues and it's hard to make them kind of funny <laughs> this one yeah. this one gave us that opportunity which was great you know it was really like pushing yeah. and and kind of like you know much needed i think yeah i i totally agree um i i, I mean maybe for people who haven't seen the watch so so when this watch came out last november uh my colleague john uh, referred to it as the turtle watch that ruled Thanksgiving uh, was our, our headline. But uh, I, I'd love to hear you for people who maybe aren't familiar. I mean, the story will be in the show notes. People can go check it out. But how would you describe this watch, just the actual like object itself? Um, it's just it's it's one of the really classic kind of Timex shapes, um, really super basic. And, it, and, you know, by design, we chose, you know, one of the more simple um, shapes so the graphic could kind of be the star of the watch. Um, you know, and really anyone who kind of follows watches or popular culture, you know, will, you know, there's like the Mickey Mouse watch and, you know, like these are the things that are appealing to us. So we, we just modeled it after, after that thought. But the, the turtle himself had come before the watch. Um, it was a t-shirt graphic and, you know, if people don't know what a ghost net is, it's it's fishing nets that have been lost at sea or discarded from commercial fishing, fishing vessels that float around the ocean, sometimes for years and years, literally just killing everything in its path because it catches, it still continues to catch fish um, and and they die. And it's it's kind of insanity, you know, it's like these really, awful killing machines just floating around the ocean because um, it might be cheaper to not improve the fishing nets or improve the way they fish. Um, and they just keep doing these, repeating these same behaviors that are, are really detrimental. So the turtle is, is, you know, turtles often get caught in these nets. So we wanted to kind of show a turtle, you know, kind of flipping us off and, and you know, reminding us of this problem. Um, and he's got a, a little knife, right? And the knife is, he kind of rescues another turtle in the video, cuts him out of the, of the net. Um, and yeah, we, we just thought, well, how do we use this graphic outside of just a t-shirt, which is something that we do very kind of organically and naturally. And, and the watch just made, made a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. I love the idea of, of this, this watch being all about others and about other other things and animals and other people. I feel like watches sometimes can be this like really indulgent hobby where it's all about spending a lot of money on something that's kind of like all about you. Uh, and instead having this thing that's that's more accessibly priced. I mean, granted, they sold out and were selling for, you know, $1,000 plus on the secondary market. But, you know, setting setting that aside, like it's it's kind of accessibly priced and it it's about it's not about you. It's about something else. It's about sending a message. It's about you know, kind of getting people to talk about something other than the watch. Right. Well, I mean, at this point, you know, watches, they really can only be about you and about, you know, one of two things, your kind of 
what you're presenting to the world by your choice. Like, so it's kind of like an ego play in some, to some degree, right? This is me, right? Check it out. Um, or, 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 or style choice. If you genuinely think the watch looks a certain way and finishes your look from a personality standpoint, you know, I think that's, that's a good reason to wear a watch or to own a watch or, you know, but the, the, the funny thing about watches now is like from a purpose standpoint, they, they don't, you know, the purpose has kind of been lost, right? Because the your phone, right? Which 90% of us have in our hand all day long has the time on it, right? So like, it's not as necessary as it used to be, which I, I find really interesting. I would make a case for mental health though, right? Mm. If, if you are in the habit of looking at your wrist for the time, that is a much better experience throughout your day than looking at your phone to see the time. You know, what I've discovered is having to look at your phone for any reason at all, the time, you know, social media, emails, whatever, it tends to occasionally, if not more often than not, pull you into another direction because there's other things you're going to see on your phone. You're gonna see that notification, you're gonna see this or that. And we spend too much time on our phones. So what I find really interesting is that watches can now serve as a kind of mental health crutch, you know, to stop us from looking at our phones. You know, yeah. every time I look to check the time, I do see something else that could distract me from what I'm actually doing. And, yeah. and, and that's kind of an awful thing, you know? So my case for wearing a watch right now would be more about mental health than it would even be about style or anything else. I love that. I've, I've, I, I mean, I haven't thought about it in that exact way before, but I, I really like that. And it makes a lot, it makes a lot of sense to me. Well, I mean, you know, I, I, I mentioned it earlier, but you know, these watches sold out in a matter of minutes, they pop up on the secondary market and they end up in the same way that like most cool stuff, uh, ends up this way these days. Like it ends up being in, in some ways about the, the hype and collecting and, you know, everybody kind of being like, oh, I got this, I got that. I wonder when you're making products, this watch and and others that have a social message, uh, how you make sure that at the end of the day, it's that message that gets heard and not the like, oh shit, what's the price on StockX? Right. Well, just to be clear, <laughs> this is the God's honest truth. When we ordered that watch, I, I expected to have them forever. I, I thought this is the coolest thing ever. I'll be happy to have this product for a long time. I won't mind if we have them for even a year. Like that, that, that was the thought process. We had no idea there would be the response there was. It was not in the cards at all for us. It was okay. so shocking. We, we, we were calling each other at 11 or whatever it was when they sold out. And I was like checking to see if it was real. I was like, did something go wrong with Shopify or, you know, did we have some major run on like resellers buying them? But it turned out there was people just liked the watch and we really had no idea they'd be gone. We, we thought we were going to have those watches for a very long time. Um, so it is a bit weird. Um, I don't really push for the kind of let's make the thing that everybody wants to reset. That's not really what we're in business to do. Um, mm you know, there's pluses and minuses to this whole kind of resale world. Like it's, it's a little bit weird because it inflates values of things on really on kind of like, it's, it's a real supply and demand conversation. Um, 
but it also kind of takes things to these like otherworldly places where it doesn't even feel appropriate. Um, but the, the, the good side to the reselling market is products stay in the loop. And, you know, um, it's kind of created a whole other economy, you know, where young people actually can make money if they're good at this, you know what I mean? And it's like, they, they literally sell products and they, they make a living, you know, doing it in some cases, which is pretty interesting. And, and it keeps things going, right? Everything has value to somebody. Um, and that's a good thing, right? Rather than it just being discarded, right? Like, or, or thrown, thrown aside. So I'm, I'm still trying to figure out how I really feel about the, re, the reselling market. Um, some days I feel really good about it and positive, and other days I feel like it's the worst thing that's ever happened to us. Um, it's, it's still pretty young, you know, really technically. So we'll, we'll see what it does. It's, it's going to be an interesting few years. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I like the idea of the reselling market being about keeping things in circulation. Like, that's definitely a, a bright side to it. Right. And I mean, we talk in, in watches all the time, especially when we're talking about vintage stuff. Like, one of the, the great things is that, like, these are in some ways, like, the most sustainable products there are. You know, like, I'm wearing a watch that's older than my parents. Like, yeah. that's that's pretty cool. Um and, and I wanted to make sure we touched on this new program that you guys launched just a couple weeks ago, uh, the Not Dead Yet program that uh, when when the email landed in my inbox, I was I was pretty blown away. I was like, this this is awesome stuff. Uh, and so I just I just wanted to know, can you share what that is with our audience and then also kind of where where this idea came about? So it's it's something I've been wanting to do for for a very long time, actually. It's something that it's an idea I had even before I started the business. Um, but we had a lot of other things to tackle before we could tackle this. We needed a, a, a better infrastructure as a company to be able to support this idea. Um, it's, it's a simple idea. It's kind of like, if you no longer want your Noah product, <laughs> come back to us and we'll, we'll, we'll pay you for it. You know, um, we won't pay you what you paid for it, obviously. Um, but there's set prices for certain things. I don't recall what they are, but it's a certain price for a t-shirt, a certain price for a sweatshirt, jacket, so on and so on. Um, and, you know, you can use that money to buy new products. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty simple. It's, it's almost like a weird trade-in program or something, you know? And it, it does a few things. I mean, it, it gives people the opportunity to kind of very simply, if they no longer love something, you know, and that happens from time to time, we hope it doesn't. We hope that people only buy the things they really, really care about. So they keep them for a very long time. But, you know, people make mistakes or their opinions change or, you know, sometimes they they lose weight or gain weight. You know, who knows, right? Um, they have an opportunity to find a place to bring it back very easily, right? It doesn't have to go to a vintage store or anything like that. It can just come back to us. And, mm -hmm. you know, we accomplish a few things with that. We hopefully support the customers um, in their need to maybe remove products from their life. Um, we get them back, which I think is really cool. You know, we think long-term we might be able to sell these things secondhand or if they're really destroyed, you know, they'll be used as, as insulation, you know, we'll, we'll compile stuff and send it to the companies that make insulation out of old clothing and things like that. So it's, it, it does a lot of different things at once. Um, and it's kind of fun too, because people are bringing things back and some of these things will have stories attached to them, you know, um, 
that's that's the hope is that they still they tell stories of people's lives um so yeah it's simple i mean the idea isn't brand new i mean i've had the idea for a long time um patagonia does it in their own way as well um and they always innovate and lead you know when it comes to trying to be a better business and and we put them at the top of the food chain in that space and look to them for inspiration constantly you know um what are they doing? What's our version of it? You know, they beat me to this one, unfortunately. I had this idea a long time ago, but they implemented it before I did, which is a little bit disappointing. I wanted to get to something just once before them, you know, but <laughs> but they're incredible. And and you know, I'm I'm thankful that they're there, quite honestly, yeah. to to lead the way because you know, 20 years ago when I was, you know, buying Patagonia, they were it. There was nobody else even talking in these terms. You know, so the only thing that we've done is we've applied it to a market that maybe doesn't have an organic environmental thought already, right? Like the outdoor community is already kind of automatically interested in the idea of protecting the environment because they're in it, right? They live in it, you know, skiing or fishing or whatever. It's like really built into your lifestyle. But we have a big chunk of our consumer base maybe isn't as active as others and they're more interested in the style and fashion side and we're bringing that messaging to them. That's a relatively new thought. I mean, it's becoming more common, obviously, um, but yeah. five and a half years ago, it wasn't that prominent. It wasn't something you saw everywhere. Um, and I think that is what makes us a little bit unique in, in the space. Yeah, no, I t totally, totally agree. Well, the the last thing I want to ask you uh, is just to give our, our audience maybe a little a little bit of a tease here. Uh, are there any more timepiece related uh, <laughs> plans over at NOAA? Yeah, there is one. There is one coming. It won't be until the fall. Um, okay. It's it's a bit of an update, um, basically. Um, I actually think, you know, I, I'm not sure which one I prefer. Okay. The original or the new one coming out. They're both, they're both pretty good. Um, it's a simple update, but it's a good one. Yeah. That'll be, that'll be fall. Yeah. Fall 21. Killer. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure uh, all the people who missed out the first time around, or even the people who scored one who are going to want the second one <laughs> uh, are looking forward to it. And uh, we'll have to have you back to, to chat again then. All right. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. <laughs>